0: Welcome to our True Crime, True Family podcast. Quarantine equals no life, so we've decided to start a true crime podcast. I'm Emily, and along with my mom, Kate, and our cousin, Paige, we will be discussing popular true crime documentaries and cases. Due to sensitive subject material and explicit language, viewer discretion is advised. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, it's episode two of Tiger King. Uh, Kate's going to take over now. Episode two opens with the 911 call from GW Zoo. Um, And this is where Saf's um, arm gets bitten off. Um, An employee was attacked by a tiger. We hear Joe say the arm is entirely gone. We do not have time to wait. Saf is the employee who was attacked. And Joe goes in the gift shop and then tells everyone... What happens? He's like, so I can give you your money back or give you a rain check.
1: Yeah, that's good for business.
0: He, mm-hmm. Yeah. And my note here was, I I put he says staff put her and in parentheses I said I thought staff identified as male arm through the cage and a tiger ripped it off. So I'm just going to refer to staff as he, because um, I do that's how he does identify so um and so joe basically just freaks out entirely and then he's like oh my god i am never going to financially recover from this and like i don't even understand like how saf is like so nice and like reasonable and calm and about everything so she says or he said um Saf ended up being airlifted and was taken into emergency surgery Um, and they could still use his hand, but um, the doctor told Saf it would be about two years worth of reconstructive surgery, or they could just amputate it right away. And so Saf Saf said, just amputate it. Um, And then she says that the media blew everything up into this horror story And so the best thing to do was to get back to work ASAP. And so he went back to work five days after the amputation. Like, I don't think I would be off the couch five days after my arm was amputated, let alone going anywhere to work.
1: Well, not in a Um, dirty place like that.
0: I mean, look, it could be the cleanest place on earth. It could be Disney World. I'm still not (laughs) off that couch. Uh, like, I, I mean, I was just, like, gobsmacked, like, staring at the TV, like, really went back five days after, and Rick Kirkham says he was the first person to talk to Saf about amputating the arm, and that, amazingly, there was no bitterness or ill will, and Saf says it was just another day to overcome And that nothing can bring him down. He says he works with a man that has no legs. So, like, what is he going to complain about only having one arm? And I really think Saf should, like, be a public speaker. Like, about, like, getting through shit. Because does not feel sorry for himself ever at all. And has Mm -hmm. such a good attitude about things. Um, And then they show John putting his prosthetic legs on. And he says that a lot of people believed a tiger took his legs, but that he lost his legs in a zip lining accident and um, he fell 50 feet and landed on his feet, which sounds awful. It says he tore his insides up and yes. broke a ton of bones, which... Ugh god like that getting them bent off by a tiger would probably be less painful than all of that
1: yeah and considering like he walked around on uh, them before he had them amputated uh, and that was basically why he had to have them amputated yes. oh
0: my, no yeah. i was in pain listening to him yeah it was it was awful and Oh yeah, because didn't he say he's like was like walking around? Yeah, on, just like, straight on, bone. Like, he was just, that's and that
1: was why he ended up having to have them Ugh. amputated, because he just destroyed them. Oh God. Mm-hmm. God, my whole body hurts.
0: Um and then we see Dickhead Doc Antle right. In the middle of the
1: neighborhood, elephant. no less.
0: Like I can't take Doc Antle. He is the most ridiculous. He walks the elephant into the water and swims with it. Then he goes back to directing for um, Eric Good and them again. He's asking if the baby tiger should be walking around or should he lay on the couch with them? (laughs) What do you think the shot is? He seems like he is the worst and probably was so annoying to have involved in making this documentary. I feel like that... um, the filmmaker because usually you don't see like much of the producers in most like documentaries but this dude is like no i'm gonna put myself in here and show you all what i had to deal with um Mm -hmm. he like he's really the worst he says nothing is cooler or sexier than tiger (laughs) i disagree (laughs) He says some stupid shit and then says everyone loves tigers. Anyone who says they don't is just insecure and broken. Okay. And then we go back to the star of the show, Carol Baskin. She says, all exotic animal owners tend to be like, look at me, a picture with a tiger or a cub or whatever. She believes they want to use the cats to elevate themselves and their status and... I failed to see the lie. Um, Joe Exotic brags that he breeds more tigers than anyone in the country. Um, Kirkham says breeding was the biggest thing for Joe. It was his whole thing. Rick said he sold the animals to other zoos. Selling the animals was the biggest money maker for Joe. John Finley says, and just to be clear, he's still shirtless and still toothless, says, I drove lions, tigers, bears, ligers, all sorts of animals. The filmmaker asks Joe, if I want to buy a tiger, how much would it cost for a baby tiger? Joe's answer is about 2000 but keep in mind, it's illegal now, which I'm sure is great to be saying on camera. Um, Howard Baskin tells us, this is organized crime. Criminal enterprises are operating under the radar illegally because the Endangered Species Act forbids selling a tiger. John Renke acknowledges that yes, it is illegal, but all zoos do it if they don't, they won't have any cubs. He says Doc Antle has bought them. You've got Brown Zoo, you've got Tim Stark, just to name a few. Then we meet Tim Stark. And the first thing he says is, according to Thomas Jefferson, any law that you think is unfair or unjust, which I don't think that's a word, it is your obligation. It is your responsibility to stand up against that bullshit law. Um, I don't know that Thomas Jefferson ever said that quote, um, but Tim Stark attributes it to him. He looks very white trash and is holding an automatic rifle. He says if people are so concerned about tigers, they should be donating their money to places like mine where we breed them. Number one, they are endangered species. Duh. What's the first thing you should do to protect an endangered species? Make more. Not eliminate the source. Tim says he bought shitloads from, from Joe. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of them. And side note, how do these people have hundreds of thousands of dollars to be buying these tigers? All of them seem to be meth addicts at best. And they all look dirty and gross as fuck. Like they don't look like they have electricity or water on in their houses. But you've got a hundred thousand dollars. Well, it's kind of just like those people who
1: barely and... have anything but will spend, you know, what they have on the the latest and greatest, you know.
0: I guess, but I mean geez. And, like, they're all talking about this, even though it's supposed to be illegal. You're just openly talking about it on camera. Like, no common sense whatsoever. So we go back to Carol, and she posted online 28 different places who are part of what she calls the bad guy network of people who are breeding and selling cubs. Joe believes Carol is just obsessed with him. She's posting the information to attract law enforcement so they will get in trouble or shut down. Then I put a side note in here because one of the things that's shown on screen is Doc Antle's aliases. And his real name is Kevin, not Bhagavan. And I <laughs> scream at my TV. Carol starts talking about Mario Tabro, who used to be a drug dealer, but now he operates a wildlife menagerie. The filmmaker tries to go to Mario Tobro's house to knock on the door, but he is greeted by an armed guard who says he can't come on the property without permission. The filmmaker is able to talk to Mark McCarthy, who was once an employee of his. He says people would ask him how he could work with him, and wasn't he scared? Mark's reply is, he is the coolest animals. I don't care about anything else. Mario had cheetahs, leopards, tigers, black jaguars, snow leopards cloud leopards and that was just his private collection at his home he says the way they smuggled drugs was the same way they smuggled animals which good luck to you buddy hopefully he doesn't come after you after you just said that on camera he says the penalties for smuggling drugs were less than the penalties to um smuggle animals like oh wait no the penalties for smuggling animals was less than the penalties to smuggle drugs. Um, I, these people. He says that they would ship snakes and they would cut the snake up, stuff bags of cocaine in them, and then stitch them back up. He says he's going to give Mario a call and try to get Eric Good in. This guy is super dumb. Like, why would you say that? Like, it, I mean, I don't know. What is, like, the... Um, gosh, what is it called? When you like, the statute of limitations on, like, arresting someone for drugs. Is there
1: a statute of limitations on drugs?
0: That's what I'm wondering. Like, I would hope there's not, because I would kill him if I was that guy Mario and he's out there, like, telling my shit like that. Um, but, Mario, I... I'm kind of hoping there will be a Tiger King season two and we just follow (laughs) Mario because he is fascinating. Um, So he zooms up and I think is a Bentley and gets out. And so I guess Mark pulled his strings and got Eric good in his zoo is ZWF. He says, everything is super secure. We try to make it stupid proof because people do stupid things. He's in the cage horsing around with fucking lions and I'm uncomfortable. Like he is like in their face. And then he's like saying to them, like, don't go for my leg. And I was like, I don't think that's how that works. Um, They're all play fighting next to him and I would have passed out. They're growling. He goes up to one and he's like playing fetch with a tire with it. Um, And then he tells us that he interacts with our animals. We give them love and passion. He's throwing around air quotes as he says, if you can't keep them in the wild that they supposedly deserve that doesn't exist anymore, then you give them as much happiness as you can and they do get bonded with humans. Um, He says people like Carol Baskins use him as a poster child to say he shouldn't have animals because he was a convicted felon. Um, I don't know if he means was because I think he might mean is. Mensa member Mark cracks up as he says, people used to drive by screaming Tony Montana. Um, Mario says that some people say he's the prototype for Scarface. Now, before I watched this, I didn't know that there really was. Like, I just thought it was made up. But, like, he really is, like, the basis for Scarface. Um, And when they cut to, like, news footage of him, like, I guess when he got arrested, like, back in the day, He did look like a deranged version of Tony Montana from Scarface with like long hair and a beard. His father Guillermo and him were accused of operating a 10 year top dollar family drug enterprise. Mario says the money coming into suitcases, coming in suitcases to the bank. I did that, but not with a fat guy in a van. I did it myself in a Corvette. And that's one of the scenes in Scarface. Um, he says there were no counting machines, so he would call the bank and have 10 tellers, like, ready and waiting to count the money. He says back then he sold drugs to maintain his animal habit. And he got to the point where he would answer his phone saying, Mario's Drugstore specializing in marijuana, cocaine, and quaaludes. Anybody interested, come and get it. Including you, Metro Dade Organized Crime Bureau. And isn't that how he got caught?
1: Because they did call him and he answered the phone like that?
0: Um, I don't know. I thought he said I'm, they I had mean, him I on assume. tape saying I would that. would ass- Oh, yeah, they did have him on tape saying that, but I don't think that's how they caught call- I mean, I think it was just well known and they just needed the proof because he could just mm-hmm. say that he was joking when he said that. Um, he was also accused of covering up the murder, mutilation and cremation of a federal drug informant. Um. And so I didn't think he would say anything about it, but just showing the world that he really gives zero fucks about anything. Mario says, his name was Larry Nash. He was an ATF informant. A guy who worked for me shot him and they panicked and dumped him on my farm. I had a crazier partner than me who said, let's just cut him up and burn him. So we burned him. Um, Like this guy would be terrible. Like he's fascinating, but I feel like it would be (laughs) scary to be around him. And then he goes on and in like, he did impress me with this because I, I expected him to just be like, Oh, no, it wasn't me, blah, 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 I wasn't there. But he says, you know, I didn't do most of this stuff, but I carry the stigma of it. Immediately, I thought he was just like about to pass, you know, blame to someone else. But then he says, what am I going to tell the feds now or the judge? Your honor, I did not shoot him and I did not use that circular saw on his neck. It was somebody else. What difference does it make? I was still there. Um, which that was one thing I was like, oh, wow. That, like I would not expect anyone to like hold themselves accountable at all to anything like that. But he said he was given 100 years in jail, but he won on appeal and served 12 years. And so, Mario says he always had an affinity for animals, but his mom was very anti-pets. So, as soon as he got out of their house, he got three Great Danes. Then he got a cougar. Then a guy got killed by his own lion, so Mario got those six lions. Then he got a tiger from a lady that had it in a houseboat illegally. Like, how do you how do you get a tiger on a houseboat? <laughs> He says, next thing I know, I had a whole bunch of shit. Um, Mario says Doc Antle is a friend of his. They go back to 1982 to 1983. Mario says Doc Antle looked like Yanni back then. And Mario's wife is named Maria. She raises primates. She nurses them and raises them in her house. They sleep in their bedroom. She goes to babies RS and buys the preemie clothes for the monkeys. And then she makes a joke that she loves them even more than her children, her own children. And I don't know that she's joking. Um, so then somebody asks Maria what kind of Dr. Doc Antle is. And Maria says mystical science. Um, that sounds like a jokery you get at <laughs> Hogwarts. Um, so I, I don't really know what he means. The filmmakers ask Maria who one of the ladies in a picture is with her and doc i guess and he's she says one of Doc antel's wives eric good says oh i like that answer they ask maria how many wives does he have and she says i would say he has three then they cut to everybody <laughs> guessing how many wives doc has one guy says four or five joe exotic guesses three or four Saf guesses like nine wives and then eric Cowie <laughs> says i don't fucking care when they asked him that um and so one thing about joe exotic does anybody else like he looks like joe i dirt.
1: i had this thought of going through this and accidentally calling him joe dirt instead of joe exotic it's joe dirt
0: well like I'm wondering if whoever made like Joe Dirt had they gone to that zoo and they were like oh oh we have to we have to make a movie on
1: this guy <laughs> That's a good question.
0: I know it has nothing to do with what we're talking about but I was like I was just like that really is like exactly Who Joe is Dirt? Dirt. Uh oh honey she just, oh it. <laughs> don't blame me that's all my mom's fault for not educating me
1: Oh, not educating you yeah um, turn on streaming a streaming service and David just run stayed. it listen you won't be disappointed trust you won't be disappointed
0: wait is it wait so wait what mm. is it I, like it's a movie joe dirt yes it's a movie joe I'm dirt you're right. Like, you watch all the documentaries we talk about. I do. <laughs> um, so, Doc Antle says, Operating the Tiger's Preserve here takes place by a big, cohesive family unit. He starts explaining his apprentice program, and I feel uncomfortable. It sounds like he's grooming, like, girls... And, like, I don't know. I guess it's not slavery, but, like, it just doesn't sound right. He says, people have joined our apprentice program over the decades. They come on generally as teenagers, live on the preserve, many of whom have stayed on for decades themselves. And um, we see a blonde lady, and Doc says, this is my longtime girlfriend partner, China." Since she was 17 years old, she's been living here and taking care of my stuff. Rajni, the little Italian lady, 20 years ago when she was a young woman, she came and lived with me and has been staying here ever since. Moksha, the pretty blonde with the big teeth and the big bright smile, she's going on 16 years of living here and taking care of all that stuff. He reminds me of Charles Manson with like the Manson. Family. Oh, I made like, a I made a note in here. It's and, almost cult like cult-like. Linda Kasabian. Yes, and so he's driving the filmmakers around his property, pointing out his partner's homes. He says the animals come first and take priority, and that's mm-hmm. always been difficult for his kids and the ladies of his life. Everybody is jealous. Oh, God. And I... God. Like, I, I am astonished that people... Well, it, it's... just they hear. interview one of the girls that used to live there? Yeah, because then they go to um, Iowa, and the the lady, Barbara Fisher, said she was his apprentice from 1999 until she left in two thousand. Yeah, didn't she say, like... He liked the girls like when they were virgins or like almost yes or like close. Yes, to he virgins. did say that. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. and it, it's really like, I mean, you thought you were watching a documentary about some loser with tigers and like it's just there's murder. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and this cult and
1: child and more trafficking than anyone, and, he ugh, just seemed like scarving like a cult leader.
0: Hmm. yeah yeah well you can tell like he can't even mm-hmm. let like the director direct he has to be like it has to be how he wants it um, He he's just creepy so Barbara says she will always love him and she said it sounded like a utopia she packed everything up sold her car and convinced her dad to drive her down That is shocking to me. Like, my dad would have been like, oh, yeah, the hell I am. Like, I don't. Like, she lived in Iowa. He drove her to Myrtle Beach. I mean, their days, I don't even want to drive my kids to McDonald's, let alone Myrtle Beach from Iowa. She says her dad left and told her not to fall in love with her boss. Like, who leaves their kid there if you think that, like, this dude is old. Like, he was not, like, her age. I don't know. He, Her dad thought that Doc Antle was a chick getter. And she says that Bhagavan means lord. And now that I know, <laughs> his real name is fucking Kevin, and he picked Bhagavan. It's it great, makes it uh, worse. <laughs> it's so awful. Doc says Bhagavan means you're a friend of God. Doc's son... Cody Antle says, "Bhagavan, who will just be the next cult leader when he dies? Exactly. Yeah, he's he's all knowing, all seeing. Like to me, Bhagavan (laughs) means douche. Oh God. Um, Doc talks up his place and his his zoo as basically being wonderful, and everyone is happy." Cuts to Barbara saying they basically lived in shitty horse stalls. Sliding doors with bars on them full of cockroaches. Doc told her, you're this garbage person, but if you listen to me, I'll make you great. If you wanted to get to the top really quickly, you should sleep with him. Barbara says, I certainly didn't want to sleep with him, but I was thinking about it. Which, she says it like she didn't
1: yeah, I'm sure do it, she did, but yeah. for
0: sure she did. It's super yuck. She said, that this is what Emily was talking about. She said the type of woman he wanted was a virgin or close to a virgin. He would become that sex partner for them, their first, so then they would be bonded to him.
1: Like, can't you just see them all, like, hanging out on that huge couch of his and, like, they're all high on drugs and, like, yeah. There's, like, big orgies that's definitely happening. Oh, God.
0: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like it's like Ruby's mm-hmm. galore and ecstasy, and like it's very cultish and like abusive. Like, oh, let me change your name. Let me isolate you from your friends and family. Like, let me have you live in garbage so mm-hmm. that you don't think you can get any better. Um, and then she explains that according to the woman, it was his, I think she said it like Shaki Pa. Which is a concept that a guru will touch you and you will become enlightened. So, essentially, it's shocky paw with penis. Like, Doc Antle is disgusting. Like, he is just really gross. Like, he's like, oh, you're going to be enlightened once I stick my dick wherever I want it. He sounds like quite the catch. Mm -hmm. Unsurprisingly, Joe Exotic says Doc is his mentor. When Joe met him... Joe himself had two husbands and Doc had three girlfriends slash wives. And then we get more music video clips from Joe's music career. <laughs> um Rinky says Joe had an interesting cast of characters as far as husbands go. John is a muscled up bully kind of guy who doesn't come off as being gay to Rinky. We get to see a bunch of tattoos on John dedicated to Joe, including his ultra-classy, privately owned by Joe Zydek, right above his dick. Oh Well, first of all, the teeth is bad enough. He's hard to look at with the teeth. Then you see the rest of it, and you're like, oh, God. Then there's Travis. Travis is another muscle-bound skateboarding type guy. I didn't think he looked no. that muscular. Um, Travis Maldonado. I don't know what year this was taped, but he says he was 19 years old from California. And I wrote, he does not look muscular to me. Joe was immediately love struck. And like the next part, we're just like settling for being uncomfortable. Saf says, One day, it was Saf, Joe, and Travis in the back of the truck. Joe says, how straight are you? Travis says, pretty straight. Joe asks, do you watch porn? Travis says, yeah. And Joe says, well, do you enjoy the guy with the little one doing her or the guy with the big one doing her? Travis says, well, obviously, you want to watch the guy with the big one and joe says well you ain't that straight and busts out laughing like it was the most clever thing that anyone well it's like he convinced
1: travis that he was gay
0: well yeah like first it's the same thing as doc like it's just men instead of women like you're grooming them Mm. oh god John says it wasn't weird to share Joe with another guy because Joe had tried for many years to bring other people in. And one day Joe asked John if Travis could be in a relationship with us too. Um, And John says, I didn't really know any better. I didn't care. Which, I mean, I think part of it is John, maybe not gay himself and John probably was thankful to have somebody else have to deal with Joe and I also fully believe that as long as Joe continued to supply the meth and whatever else they're mixing with it that John was more than happy Mm -hmm. to have Joe be distracted by Travis so they had a three-way wedding which (laughs) was awful
1: it's so weird
0: it's so weird I just like I uh. in a video, Travis says when he first came to GW Zoo, he didn't have much of a life. But when he came to GW Zoo, he started experiencing a lot of different things. He enjoys being around Joe and John and the animals. Side note: They keep showing Joe being affectionate with Travis, and Travis looks beyond grossed out and uncomfortable. (laughs) I wrote this poor kid. Um Carol Baskin says that frequently the type of people that Joe and Doc will use the that to lure in people Joe and Doc will use the animals to bring them in um, that these younger people really haven't had the opportunity yet to build a lot of relationships and understand how badly they're being abused themselves, and they're using the animals as the way of forcing these people into labor camps which I agree with, but then this bitch also doesn't right. pay anybody that works. But at her she place, might so, not offer like, them all reward.
1: Do we know if she does that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think she yeah. just has it all be like volunteer based, but like you still don't mind like putting people to work and not paying them. So at least, you know, yeah, these other true. people get homes out of it. Doc says, Having these animals has to supersede all of your other hopes, wants, dreams, and desires. It's what you're going to wake up doing. It's what you're going to go to sleep doing. And it's going to happen 365 days a year. Weddings, funeral, and relationships at Christmas fade away because the 80 Tigers will still be standing there waiting for you to deliver their next meal. Um, Doc's partner, Moksha, I don't know how to say her name. But I think it's Moksha says, it sounds insane and intense and whatever, but it's my lifestyle and it's what I want to do. Senior trainer Robert Johnson says, we are programmed to think we need weekends off and we're only working 40 hours a week. He says, in some ways, this is the military, except instead of having hand grenades, we have tigers. Doc says the only people that survive his environment look at it like they are getting to do something that they love, and it's not a job; it's a lifestyle they have dove into. Uh, Barbara Fisher says they worked so hard and got paid a hundred dollars a week, and (laughs) I was like, "Stop! You've got to stop!" Like, there's no way. And Carol says she doesn't pay anybody to do animal care because people will just do that for free. And I wrote, um, I thought she was just criticizing them about manipulating young people into labor camps. Carol says their volunteers wear a color-coded shirt system. Red equals beginner, keeper trainees, and partner trainees. If you get all your classes done, you can apply for a yellow shirt. Takes about a year. Then you have to have your yellow shirt for a full year. Then you can apply to be a green shirt. Carol says after they have been there about five years or so, they can graduate to a master keeper. Master keepers wear navy blue. Carol says they have royal blue shirts and a girl says in a royal blue shirt, she says that she's an intern and she works six days a week, 12 hours a day, basically fast paced through the getting volunteer paid. program. Yeah. At all, Carol is asked if she is hands on with the interns, and she says sadly, she usually doesn't even know who they are. The people that are there six days a week for twelve hours a day they show up on her radar after level five. She's terrible she It's just awful after level five like isn't mm-hmm. that what they've been there for over five years she's awful she's just a garbage person. Joe Exotic wants to know how she can brainwash so many people to do all of her bullshit. And it's at this point I was noticing like Joe twitches a ton when he's being interviewed. Oh, it's I didn't like notice that.
1: I'm going to have to pay he attention to that.
0: all the time. He's like these what do you think that's like tics? the
1: drugs? Yeah.
0: Oh, for sure. And so Carol has over 2 million fans on Facebook but in a given week she can reach 3 million then we get to hear her dumbass saying hey all you cool cats and kittens it's Carol a big cat rescue and I immediately thought how many views do you think she gets as a result of someone being like watch this dumbass bitch versus people that just genuinely want to know what is going on in her life Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's going to be all jokes uh, she says every week they get a check from Facebook and the last two weeks were like $23,000 a week where have I gone wrong in my life that this bitch gets 23 grand a fucking week for saying corny dipshit things and I'm over here like <laughs> making zero <clears throat> she is taping herself riding her bike and I would give anything mm-hmm. for her to fall off of it Doc Antle says that Carol rode the first wave of social media and her YouTube channel has 200 million views. Oh, God. And then there's more god-awful music videos. And it looked like Sherry O'Terry was doing the music video. The filmmaker looks confused watching this. And Doc says high-quality social media duping tons of teenage children to devote their days and time to the cause she has. So, they go to Big Cat Rescue, a derelict, run-down, backyard collection of 12 cats, and think that they're going to the world's greatest Big Cat Sanctuary. I have no clue what the fuck he's talking about. Like, well, yeah, but I live with a teenager. If, like, Emily watched that and forwarded it, it would be to make fun of it. If she went there, it would be as a joke. I don't think that Emily's heartstrings would be hold by carol fucking baskins like i don't think it's like they're not like oh my gosh let's follow this lady the way doc angel is trying to act like it is i mean they have to like hand out drugs or all of them like who who works for free for one so joe exotic is standing in front of a big cat rescue billboard and i guess he went on a tour there and taped it He said her sanctuary is probably worse than most people's backyards. The cages are tiny, which I noticed this in the first episode. Like, the cages are tiny. Like, I think the cage that my dog sleeps in at night Mm -hmm. is bigger than some of her lion cages, tiger cages, whatever. He says the weeds are shoulder high. It is literally a wire jungle in a mess of trees. Joe says that she advertises that she has 100 big cats, but they only saw 12 on the tour. Joe says he went to the gift shop and introduced himself. He said, in a couple hours, look up, it'll be me. His petty ass went to this little airport outside of Tampa and rented an entire helicopter to fly over Big Cat Rescue. Carol says he wanted to get footage, footage of the cages and enclosures, but he had done it to antagonize them, which doesn't make sense to me. Like, I'm sure, like, it accomplished two things. Carol then says she's a cat that has seizures due to the noise of a helicopter flying overhead. Like, all right. i is this, like, a frequent problem you have? Like, I, I don't even know what to believe it anymore. You don't even know if it's, like, when Joe flew overhead that that cat was, like, doing anything. I, is it, They're just, they're idiots. John Finley says the helicopter gave Joe a lot of bad ideas. Joe was talking about dropping grenades. Like, and I, I cannot stand watching him talk. He's, like... <laughs> His teeth, it's disgusting. And, like, and Carol and Howard are awful. Like, Howard looks, like, terrified at all times. Like, he gets a beat every night after the cameras
1: leave. I really get distracted by the, Um, like, ten earrings in Joe's ear. Yeah,
0: that and his, like, eyebrow ring that is, like, holding on by the thinnest of threads. Then there's more buffoonery. Doc Antle is showing off his nine-month-old Liger child. And I wrote, uh uh-oh, as he's bullshitting and giving out Liger stats, he goes and his chain... Oh, he goes, and his chain hasn't been cleaned properly, so now my shirt's ruined. So, I guess the lady had, she had this, like, Liger Mm -hmm. like, on a leash. And, like as he's doing his thing or whatever like I guess he gets dirt on his shirt and um the chick starts apologizing and um then Tim Stark says him and Doc were friends he kind of idolized him not just because of the animals but the way he had them women trained like oh okay For his own damn harem and shit. He says, first thing he said when he visited Doc for the first time was, I don't need you to teach me a damn thing about animals. But how the fuck you got these women trained? (sighs) Barbara says he chose all of the women's outfits because they are supposed to look sexy and lure people in. Barbara says, China's name used to be Michelle. Moksha was named Meredith. Rajni was Renee. Barbara had legally changed her name to Bala for many years. She says Doc controlled every aspect of their day, what they were allowed to do, what they were allowed to eat. And didn't, they yes. were all had to be vegetarians, right? And she said um, Barbara was also being pushed to get implants. She said she was too scared to say she didn't want to do it.
1: But the only re- reason she did um, do it was to get a few days off work.
0: Eric Good says it's not every day that you are asked to have a job where you can't take any time off because people do have lives and they do have families outside of creating, which Doc immediately angrily interrupts him. And he's like, you are leading me down a road where people are just going to say you have to join a fucking cult to be a tiger trainer. Like, uh, what? That, like.
1: No, but we all thought you were a cult leader well before you said that.
0: Yeah, no, like the yeah, the the cult leader stuff came in like uh mm-hmm. when you're like brainwashing these people telling them that their shock is gonna be enlightened once they touch your dick. Um uh, I thought he was more pushing towards like you know, labor laws, or bringing up polygamy, or sex trafficking. I didn't immediately jump to cults, even though, like, I just thought that was already a given. Um, Doc says, "Promise you, been here thirty-five years, heard it all forever." If you say so, which I don't understand. Like, he went from zero to a hundred real quick. Barbara says. That Doc will say they're free to leave whenever they want to at any time. But that's the way it is in all cults. Then Joe says he's got his little cults and I've got my little cults. It's just two opposite, completely different worlds. You know, he's Doc a little more upscale and I'm working with people that just got out of prison. It tends to work for him and it tends to work for me. So clearly everybody just assumes it's a cult and like Doc's getting all bent out of shape over like a given. Um, Staff says that Joe definitely likes to hire people where that is their only option. And then we see Eric Cowie. Um This fool is in a small space pouring gasoline into gas containers while he's smoking a cigarette. Staff continues saying, Joe looked at it like, if this is all they have and it's decent, they'll work hard enough to keep it. Joe offers homeless people to live in one of his trailers in exchange for them working for him. Rinky says he pays the staff 150 a week. Eric Cowie says, this is probably going to get me in trouble, but we just eat mm. off the meat truck. I, and I did notice that like oh Joe's people gets $150 a week I'm like doc a 100 and like it is kind of nice like they show Joe talking to this lady who's like clearly down on her luck and he's like you can live like in this mobile home or whatever and do work and you know I'll give you a chance so like you know, like, I think maybe there is a part of him that he does genuinely believe he's helping people, and I guess that's good, but he's so gross and disgusting, and I mean, it's still not really right. Um <laughs> Then I wrote, Vomit trigger warning. Kirkham tells us there was a truck that picked up meat from all these Walmarts in the area that had expired to feed the animals. Joe says, If you go to Walmart and you put a brisket in your basket and a couple T-bone steaks and you go to the register and your credit card declines or your check declines, it can't go back. It goes to the trash. Once it leaves that cold shelf, it cannot go back. Ranky says the staff was the worst about going through the food truck. To render it, it needs to go to the cats, but they would all go through it and get them something to eat. Cowie says, ain't nothing wrong with it, man. I like my shit medium rare. Lobster tails and badass cuts of beef and shit. Kirkham says, Joe would let them pick out what they wanted first. Then they would carry bags of this expired, disgusting meat and foods back to their mobile homes. And that's what they ate because that was all they had. And then Kirkham says, there were four mobile homes inside the zoo. It sounded like he had like a shanty town, So I was very shocked that he said there were four. He says the washing machine didn't work. The water didn't run in the bathroom. One air conditioner for the entire thing. It can be 120 degrees in there at night. And that was in the nice one. I wrote, yikes. And then they find a fucking rat in one of the drawers. (laughs) And I was like, I'm out. Tap out. I could not. Will not. Never in my life. Oh, God. Carol says if you talk to the people that have escaped some of these situations, what they'll say is that they've been treated so abusively. But not only are they abusing the people that work there, they're abusing the animals there as well. Barbara says she was really looking for someone to tell her what to do. Doc says men are pigs, women are sheep. She said what she did there was raise tiger cubs. At first it was only a couple of couple of litters a year and they were only for a certain time. By the time she left there was always multiple litters. She talks about her favorite tiger, um I think Lakshman, and Eric Good asks her what happened to him, and Barbara says she didn't ask, only Mm -hmm. Doc knows. Okay, so he like shot it. Um Tim Stark says one of the main things Doc told Joe Exotic was you can't keep them all. That's a bad business decision because once a tiger gets out of the stage where you can use them, they're nothing more than a bill. Then, Rinky says there has always been a rumor out there that Doc Antle euthanizes his cubs when he's done with them. Mark McCarthy, or yeah, Mark McCarthy says Carol Baskin thinks she's the Cleopatra of cats. He says she's not that good. He says, anytime anybody attacks her, she goes after them with her millions, which she inherited from her husband that's dead and missing for years now. Mario Tabrai says, Carol Baskins is full of shit. She's got a missing husband that's supposedly buried on her property. Doc Antle says, Carol is out of her gourd and seems to have killed her own husband. Joe says, they can't find Carol's third husband's body. Joe believes she fed him to the cats and the tigers carol dismisses it as crazy then cut to a news reporter saying his kids and his secretary believe carol fed him to tigers thank you for listening to true crime true family follow us on our twitter at tctfp and instagram at tctf podcast don't forget to subscribe to us where you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode please leave a rating and review we appreciate all the feedback join us next week